You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. Hello. Please let me see your ticket stubs for the double-edged double bill. This week, Canon Films gives Invasion USA three death wishes. Thomas and Thomas Mariani will come to the table to discuss the randomly selected yin and yang of a double feature. Then, both will have to pick a number between 1 and 10 in order to seal their fates for the next episode. One will have two good movies, the other two bad ones. Let's let the chaos begin. I am the gloriously returning Adam Thomas, and I'm back. And I technically lied in the beginning, because each week, Adam Thomas Thomas Mariani, apparently that's not true, because uh, it has not been each week. No, because you were gone last week, and I, Thomas Mariani, can say that, and I'm so disgusted you've come back into my town, and I have to blow you away with a giant rocket launcher of some sort. From the hip. From the hip, yes, of yep. course. Heroes only shoot rocket launchers from the hip. It, it's it's very easy, compact, I can carry it anywhere, it's perfect. Mm-hmm. Either that, or yep. like whatever weird like little baton gun that somebody has in Death Wish 3 at one point. <laughs> yeah, the, the zip gun. Uh, whatever the fuck that is um well welcome back adam um thanks lovely to hear your voice again this week out of a sort of randomness um it's a topic we've discussed doing for some time since the start of the show uh we are doing canon films which was a production company that existed from like the early 70s through the early 90s uh their heyday was obviously the 80s and we're talking about two movies that are literally from the same year smack dab in the middle of their weird success and if mm-hmm. you're unfamiliar with these people um this is uh from the the, the two guys who started this uh, were Mahama Golan and Yoram Globus um who are two Israeli producers um who made movies over there and then came over to America to pursue the American dream of making very schlocky films that tried to appeal to um action buffs um, if, for the break-in movies, dancers, uh, for the, the people lowest, that, The lowest common denominator. Lowest common denominator, pretty much. Also, people who like ninja movies, mm-hmm. because they made so many goddamn ninja movies. And, uh, Adam, are, are you a fan of the films from the canon productions? Quite a few of them. They, there's not many that are excellent. Uh, I'd argue we've discussed maybe one excellent one on our show already. Highlander is one of my favorites well i guess excellent might be pushing a lot but i really love highlander but no they're just schlocky schlocky films and i mean most of them are really really fun uh like even our our two tonight i'd argue even the bad pick is still fun and the good pick is a bad movie but fun i I think they're just delightful delightful and then the documentary that came out about them i can't for the life of me remember the name of it but it's uh, it's electric boogaloo oh it's a fantastic documentary Right, of course, because they are the people that made the break-in movies, including Break-In 2, Electric Boogaloo. If nothing else, the fact that they're, like, gone from public uh, consciousness right now isn't totally true, since some, like, Electric Boogaloo still lasts to this day as, like, a stupid Mm -hmm. fucking thing that people still do joke sequel titles about. 
Oh yeah, constantly. I mean, and Highlander is constantly talked about being rebooted. Masters of the Universe is a cult classic. I mean, they have a lot, a lot of movies that I mean, they gave Van Damme his start with Cyborg. They're responsible, believe, for a lot of pop culture, you know, phenomenon, and even introducing some actors or giving actors who are, you know, at the end of their career, some starring vehicles still. Or far too many starring vehicles in the case of the guy who's in our second feature that we'll be talking about. <laughs> Keep that old man away from the camera. I do with that goddamn mustache. <laughs> oh. As we'll, as we'll be talking, I guess, because um, at the end of our last episode, um, myself and guest host Ryan Corderman uh, ended up doing the picking, which usually Adam and I uh, each have two features of uh, either too good or too bad quality. We switch off on that quality, and uh, we end up randomly getting um, a good pick and our bad pick uh, based on random selection. And um, because of what happened last time, we have Invasion USA is our bad pick, technically, and Death Wish 3 is our good pick, technically. But like we said... Um, good and bad are very relative in the world of canon films, uh, because it's a very nebulous term. Even the ones that are genuinely good, as I mentioned, are kind of few and far between. The few times we're just like, oh, hey, let's do a star thing, because we got, I don't know, Christopher Reeve to do Superman 4 for us. Oh. Let's have him do Street Smart. Oh. oh, God. Hey, the girl from Electric Boogaloo, we like her. Let's put her in Ninja 3. Oh, my God. Oh, Ninja 3 is pretty amazing. <laughs> but, it's, it's fantastic. Right, and just a bit of canned history for myself. I'm not as versed necessarily, but especially after the documentary and just watching a few of some of their higher echelon films, I've been fascinated to watch more and more because um, they're sort of the premiere of so bad it's good or at least so bad it's mind-boggling cinema. Yeah, and I mean, the thing is, they made pretty decent money off these things too because obviously they... They didn't spend a lot making most of these. No. And, uh, you know, they did buy a lot of, like, dead franchises and just pump them till they're, like, just shouldn't be around anymore. And they made money off name alone. And, uh, yeah, you know, they, they're true independent cinema. Would make anything they wanted to make. They got these awful licensing deals. They Or, you know, throw a million dollars at a movie and hope it's going to be great. And it's just a terrible shit fest. But that's what they did. They, you know, the thing is, watching that, you get the idea that the two of them, especially the the main one who's talking in the documentary, I, I want to say it's Mannheim. He's you'd get the idea he just loves movies, absolutely is enthralled by cinema, and he was his dream to make an Oscar winning picture, which they thought they had with that fucking what was it Warren Beatty? Oh, Ishtar, right? There was Ishtar, Ishtar. But, but they also just looked like, oh, let's give Franco Zeffirelli millions of dollars to make an Othello movie that was fucking terrible. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But let's get into our two features. So first off, it is Invasion USA. No one thought it could ever happen here. <laughs> They are an army of international terrorists. Now, only one thing stands in their way. It's time to die. They wanted a war. See you in hell. He gave them one. Send me a postcard. Chuck Norris. Invasion USA. So Invasion USA came out September 27th, 1985, and stars uh, Chuck Norris, who we should mention, uh, both of our films star sort of like the big 
uh, stars of canon. Um, in that canon films documentary we kind of talked about, um, a lot of people said that they tried to kind of adapt the old school Hollywood style of having a bunch of stars in their staple who they constantly kept making movies with. And uh, they definitely like, just leached onto both Chuck Norris, who had like a five picture deal or something like that after the Michigan action movies were very successful. Um, and then also Charles Bronson, who they made several Death Wish sequels with. I want to say four of them? Four sequels, maybe? Well, they made uh, Death Wishes 2 through 4, and then the fifth one was produced after Canyon went bankrupt by, um, I believe, Golem. Okay, he, well, I can't. Um, elsewhere. Can. Yeah, yeah. I mean, basically. Yeah. It's yeah. it's a canon in in spirit, for sure. Um, but we'll get, we'll get to that later. So, But we're here to talk about Chuck Norris now. And Chuck Norris is an interesting figure um, in terms of his entire uh, career, uh, because obviously he was a big action star at this time. Evolved to be a television star with like Walker, Texas Ranger mm-hmm. from from here into the next decade. Which most of my introduction to Chuck Norris was not that show, but specifically on uh, the old Late Night with Conan O'Brien show. Uh, yeah. It was on NBC. He had this <laughs> specific feature called the. Uh, Walker Texas Ranger lever, where he would just had this lever on set that he would randomly pull, and then a random Walker Texas Ranger clip would show, and it was always <laughs> hilarious. The best one is when Haley Joel Osment thought he's got AIDS. <laughs> You're like, what the fuck? That, that's like the famous clip, but uh, my yeah. favorite underrated MVP is there's a one where this kid is on top of a bookshelf and he's like hanging there, and this adult's down there just like, come on, jump, do it, I'll catch you. And then he falls, and the guy just steps away, and the kid falls on the ground, <laughs> and it cuts to Conan, and he's just like out of his chair, like, what the hell was that? I've never seen anything more horrific than that. He let that kid hit the ground. <laughs> That's the most disturbing video I've ever seen. And I'm seeing it all. Now, you know, I was a big proponent of 80s action movies growing up. I loved them. Like Seagal, Van Damme, Mm -hmm. Schwarzenegger, Lundgren, all of them. Chuck Norris, to me, was always the B-level. He never hit it as big as, like, Sly or Arnold or Van Damme even. Even Seagal. Which is kind of odd because he's probably one of the toughest and most, like capable out of all of them as far as martial arts skills and everything else yes not as sharp on the acting skills though which is saying something or the looks or the body or anything else well well, i mean i would give at least like he has a distinctive look because he's the only one of those i would argue that can really rock a beard quite convincingly no yeah without a doubt i yeah (laughs) yeah no stallone's always looks patchy and weird arnold's is always fake (laughs) it's it's pretty well. I don't know Seagal's beard now with that Dracula widow's peak he has. Look, seeing Seagal's a whole nother thing right now. Yeah. <laughs> Fuck that fucking guy. Anyways, <laughs> uh, but but Chuck Norris kind of came back into prominence in the start of the new millennium with like those fucking Chuck Norris jokes, which I got so tired of very quickly. There, there was a couple of them though, man. Can you think of one that made you laugh? Initially, I was just like, okay, that's kind of funny. It just got old extremely quickly. Like, there's a fist under his beard, shit like that. Yeah, that like, one's I, great. Right, but got so infinitely tired within, like, a month. Sure. Yeah, jokes. it was played out. Yeah. Yeah, it was everywhere. But I, I, gotta, I gotta say my favorite one, uh, lightning never strikes in the same place twice because Chuck Norris is looking for it. <laughs> it's so stupid. Yes. Yes, it is. <laughs> um, but but Invasion USA was one of many vehicles that he did for Canon. Uh, came out September 27th, 1985. The basic premise is a bunch of communists from Russia are invading the USA, literally. 
with fake, even though there's like only two actual Russian guys in it. I'm, I mean, I guess I don't know. It, it, it starts off with Richard Lynch plays the main guy, the main villain who uh, kills a bunch of Cuban refugees before they can get to Florida. Then he arrives in the U.S. and just wants to blow things up with his rocket launcher. We made this joke earlier. This movie is at least 40% things being blown up with a rocket launcher, whether it be suburban households or buildings or airboats or whatever. Well, first of all, Richard Lynch, that guy got a fucking face on him or what? I mean, I know he was burned and everything, but good lord is he, is he something to look at. He has a very distinctive face that made him a pretty interesting character actor when he popped mm-hmm. in. Right, well, that's a nice way of putting it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I want to be an asshole, though. All yeah, right. Do you see that bird victim? Good lord. No, um, anyways, he has, I think Richard Lynch's rocket launcher has infinite ammo in this. Like, the, the scene where they pull into the street and he's just fucking rocket launching a bunch of houses. He hit the cheat code pretty hard to, like, get the infinite ammo on that thing. Then, of course, of course you see, like, a little girl go into one house before it's blown up. Well, no, 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 wait, wait, you didn't emphasize that it's Christmas Eve, <laughs> I believe, Christmas. And, 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 like, they're decorating a tree outside, it's, like, the dad and the two kids, like, Papa, I want to put the star up on the tree, <laughs> and then... <Of> course. <laughs> well, the movie starts with a bunch of, like, Cuban refugees, including women and children, just getting horribly machine-gunned to death. And, and they're all just super excited, like, we're going to America, hooray! <laughs> it's so ridiculous. Uh, no, this movie is insanely violent. Yes. <laughs> Massively. <laughs> and, and Cannon loved this trick of just like, we don't know what to do in a scene. Let's pad time by blowing things up. Mm-hmm. And in this case, they had a whole suburban like, town that they were able to blow up because it was going to be destroyed um, for to make way for the Atlanta um, airport. And they were also able to do that with a mall. Which is another meaning, like stupendous sequence where Chuck Norris has to run over a bunch of fucking like Santa decorations and shit. <laughs> uh, That's but, great. Yes, and Chuck Norris plays an ex CIA agent who is tasked to come on to try and stop Richard Lynch, and he's like, "No, I won't do it." But I kind of will, where I go up to him and try and shoot mm-hmm. him, but I don't shoot him, and then I leave. But then they attack my buddy who has the Gator business. Well, I think that was a flashback. That was a flashback. Okay, that was a flash. See, that was yeah. Richard Lynch was dreaming that. That's what happened the last time they saw each other. Gotcha. Because Chuck gotcha. Norris is like, I should have killed him when I had the chance. <laughs> of course, he lives on the bayou and he's a gator hunter with you know fan boats and you know he just wants to be left alone. He doesn't want to go back to the organization. Nope. It, it's ridiculous, and he has also two little Uzi submachine guns. Which, by the way, firing those full auto, they'd be empty in like six seconds. <laughs> he is an expert marksman and he shoots literally from the hip. Yes. That's literally the poster is him shooting those two from the hip. Oh, yeah, it is. It is. With his fucking Canadian tuxedo on. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I absolutely love this movie. See, I think I, I really enjoy when it does have like the big sort of action spurts that we're talking about. But I think mm. the big problem is, and this isn't a thing I'll be foreign to or even our good feature is that uh, Chuck Norris is a complete black hole of any kind of charisma whatsoever, which is why I would say he's sort of like the B tier of the action stars of this particular time period. Because anytime like he's trying to communicate with his buddies, like one of them is just saying, Oh, I have my gator business and I love doing that. What are you going to tell social security when they try and come after you? Well, maybe if you turn the profit, <laughs> that's too much inflection. That's too much emotion. <laughs> you got to dial it back a bit. True. That's very true, and I love how, you know, this this reporter, who, by the way, is a completely throwaway character, 
Like she's got one major scene with the car chase and then she's gone, but she's got like almost got the hats for him. This fucking guy in this full denim with black leather gloves and this feathered hair and beard. Like get the fuck out of here with this guy. They have all the buildup for that, but they don't really like consummate that at all or make at it all. like they don't finish that arc whatsoever. Cause she's just like, Oh, I'm a no nonsense reporter and Chuck Norris are just full of nonsense. I can't handle this nonsense. I'm out of here. I do love that bit where she's harassing him, like, oh my god, I can't believe you're doing this so reckless. He's like, whatever, and he starts walking around, and she throws the fucking trash can lid at him, and <laughs> falls awkwardly into like, the truck. What was the grand plan here from these invading forces? They were just going to invade Florida and thought they were going to get all the way through the U.S. Was that the plan? They would have gone to Jacksonville and been fucked up. Like, that, <laughs> that's that, that wasn't going to happen. No, dude, all the backwards guys out there would throw a fucking shine and... They're goddamn, like, six toes and (laughs) fucking double-barrel shotguns. You're not going to beat those fuckers. They know the land. It'd be like going against fucking Patrick Swayze's group and next of kin. You're fucked. Not to mention all the people on just so many different drugs that will immediately attack them. Hundreds of drugs. (laughs) (laughs) They're they're all full of drugs. Like, Chuck Norris would have just walked in just like, okay, I'm here to stop him. Oh, Florida man's got him. I'm good. I don't need it. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I got this. The spaceship's real, man. Oh, so, okay. Well, you'll take care of it. <laughs> just bath salt man's gonna fucking eat their faces off. Jesus Christ. Yeah. It, 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 one thing I did like the well, I like a lot of this movie. One thing I thought was pretty cool, like at the end when when Chuck Norris and Richard Lynch like finally come to blows. Chuck Norris whoops his fucking ass. Yes. Like, it's nothing. He's kicking him over cubicles. <laughs> like, he just beats the piss out of him. I loved it. I'm going to half address it now because we're going to also have to address it in the next movie as well. If you hip fire a bazooka and hit someone dead in the chest where they're 10 feet away from you, the explosion's going to hurt you as well. <laughs> like, I'm just going to I'm just gonna lay that out there. Especially if you're blowing through a wall or a window the shrapnel and blowback from that alone is really going to fuck you up. Well, I mean, I, I I don't know about that. I think their complete lack of emotion of both our protagonists in these films shields them from any sort of blowback that would happen from these. It's ah, uh, it's the, the facial hair. It's the facial hair. Well, that's true. Yes, even even if you whether it's a, a weird mustache or a giant beard, it, it immediately prevents any kind of damage. <laughs> the weirdest mustache. But anyways, um, <laughs> it, it's just a pure violence fest, and it's so fun. And it's so ridiculous. It, it, it's just we didn't we didn't also mention like the hilarity of like at a certain point the army is called in. Just like literal tanks are going down suburban streets. I know, I know. And then they set up those giant like I don't even know what they're called, but like they had them on D Day and everything. Those big metal like X's right in the middle of the fucking right middle of the streets. I mean, but then these guys steal, like, Brinks armored security cars and just go right through them, just navigate right through. Like, it's a very shitty roadblock. No, yeah, it, it's very ineffectual. And, I mean, these guys got, like, revolvers and, and, you know, like, old school, like, German machine guns from World War II against the military. And they're just smoking the military. The military's got all this modern technology. They can't do shit. Yeah. And and just that's been just certain other things like this weird moment where they rip off the opening skinny dipping bit from Jaws. 
where a couple was like out in the water on the beach. My favorite part of that bit is like they go on the water, they come back and start making out, and the one guy shoots both of them, and they've got a TV on that's got like Joan Rivers talking on TV, and that Russian guy really fucking likes whatever joke Joan Rivers is doing, just like, <laughs> oh, classic Joan. Oh, her and her shenanigans. <laughs> I know. And then it's like, then the guy comes up and like just plugs them, and his pistol. I know I keep talking about the guns, but they're just so ridiculous. They'll definitely be a factor in the next movie. They literally invented a gun for our main character in the next movie. <laughs> That's very true. <laughs> a lot of people do talk about this movie like it's one of the bottom barrels of the canon uh, filmography. I mean, it's mentioned quite a few times. And as one of the bottom barrels of Chuck Norris's career, I completely disagree with that. I think he's made way worse than this. But it's just, how can you not watch this movie and just enjoy yourself? The plot is completely nonsensical. Okay, I'll give it that. The acting is subpar. Okay, I'll give it that. The action isn't even that well filmed. Okay, I give you that. But it all comes together to make this just mess of glory. Like, it's so fun and ridiculous. And the plot is so loose to where he goes and gives Billy Drago, who, yeah, Billy Drago, everybody, a small, like, bowling bag filled with probably, like, four bags of cocaine. And that supplies his entire army. Of course. I mean, that's all you really need. I mean, if, if that's the case, then I'm going to go try to score some cocaine. Oh, cocaine? Yeah. Here you go. Here's access to, you know, Fort Knox. It, it's, I think that's what they have there. Fort Knox. Guns and gold. I don't know. Who gives a shit? Guns and gold sounds like an obscure canon movie that's lost to time. I guarantee you it might exist. I bet if you look it up. <laughs> This is definitely one of those so bad it's good sort of things. We've had a few gems on this show, but this is probably one of the first episodes in a in a in a few to where I was smiling ear to ear at both features. Well, I mean, for me, I'll say I had fun with this one. Um, I this was my pick for the bad pick, quote unquote, um, mostly just because it was one of the ones I was like aware of. Even though in retrospect, it was kind of a mistake, just because this is one of the ones that's actually really hard to find in terms of like actually streaming availability. Um, I, I would say it has really good spurts of it. Like, uh, in particular, the, once it gets to the entire climax, where the fucking Chuck Norris is shooting down Richard Lynch and his buddies inside that office building um is it's it's pretty tremendous there and of course the big finale of richard lynch getting blown away with actual like body parts which is interesting <laughs> just you can see like rich, half of richard lynch's torso just like flying in the air as the explosion happens and the movie just knows to end there thankfully they're just like and we're done we mm-hmm. can't top that whatsoever yep, we're there's, done there's, there's bits like that or the bit where uh chuck norris has to stop the fucking school bus bomb from going off. <laughs> it's like, you forget something. And then throws it on them. Stuff like that is fun. But I would say there are a lot of spurts in between where there's a lot of just kind of like Chuck Norris attempting to be charismatic badass and it doesn't really hold up as well to me at the same time. I, I feel like it's more fits and spurts of it being so bad it's good rather than being like yeah. consistent the whole... I would argue maybe our next feature despite being the good movie is the better example where it's just non-stop insanity. <laughs> yeah, that's good. That's a really good point. But the thing is, this movie is so full of just crazy action that even the the parts you're talking about, I mean, we're talking, what, maybe five minutes here and there between action set pieces? I mean, honestly, it's pretty wall-to-wall. Once they they come to and blow up his house, it kind of doesn't stop. 
No, no, and it's why I would definitely not say it's, like, one of the worst of the canon movies, as, as right. you previously mentioned. Like, we've already talked about a worse one, like Masters of the Universe. Oh, um, God. Or even one with a bigger star, like, uh, that was a contemporary uh, Over the Top, I would say. Is oh, worst movie. no. Yeah, that's a terrible film. Mm-hmm. I forgot Canon did that. Yeah, they had that too. Jesus Christ. Yeah, that was, that was sort of right after because we're, we're talking about these two movies are sort of in the big sweet spot for Canon yes. in terms of their history because they started, like I said, kind of like in the seventies, really built up steam in like the early eighties with their initial Death Wish sequel um, and s- some other like their, uh, the Michigan action movies that Chuck Norris did. Which I love the fact that with those they shot both of them and they're like, hmm, let's release the second one we made first. And just release the first one we filmed mm-hmm. as a flashback second movie prequel thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's mm-hmm. it's so fucking nuts. Um, but but yeah, this was sort of like their big prime time for making smaller movies that end up yielding mild but successful profits. Because uh, afterwards, after this, they would get a lot more ambitious and it would kind of fall apart for them. Because um, this only cost twelve point five million, made seventeen million. So that's like very quick, efficient. Yeah, that's a quick five million turnaround. Yeah. Right, yeah, and then I'm sure they didn't advertise it that much, <laughs> except for, like, the, the great trailers, which you heard a clip of, just with classic, oh. over-the-top narration, just like, he was retired from the streets, but now he's back. <laughs> and they were totally just banking on Chuck Norris's name. Yes. Without question. How many Chuck Norris movies have you seen? Like, you, you really haven't watched a lot of them, correct? I've seen The Walker, Texas, Franchi Leffer. Uh, <laughs> great cinema. Uh, I've seen Sidekicks, which is bad. Oh, um, that's terrible. Which is like, the, hey, what about Last Action Hero, but even more ill-advised? Yeah, yeah, with Joe Piscopo. With, with, oh. with Joe Piscopo. Um, and, of course, Top Dog. We've talked about Top Dog here. Oh, for fuck's sake. The, the, the classic 90s film Top Dog. See, now, like, I've seen... A couple more. Like, I've seen Missing in Action. I've seen Delta Force. I've seen mm-hmm. Lone Wolf McQuaid. I've seen the, oh, God, what is it? The Octagon or something like that. I've seen a lot of his movies uh, just because they're always on. Like, Rift Tracks does quite a few of his movies, too. I'm sure, yeah. This is might be my favorite Chuck Norris movie. i got to be honest. Just because of the batshit insanity of it. Wait, does Dodgeball count? <laughs> Yeah, sure, why not? <laughs> I've seen Dodgeball too. And then you got to count Expendables too. Oh, that's right, I have seen Expendables too as well. Or they Ooh. make Chuck Norris jokes, and it's it's so funny because he's Chuck Norris. With his horribly dyed facial hair. Oh, for fuck's sake. Well, everybody's horribly dyed facial hair in that movie. <laughs> Sylvester Stall looks like his shit was drawn out with a Sharpie. I, I do want to comment, because you mentioned The Expendables. Those are movies that did, like try and recapture the appeal of movies like this. That's yes, very clear. They, they, but where do you, what do you think is missing from there that's so embodied in here, with especially Invasion USA? Well, I think like Expendables and things like that is they're trying to capture this. This wasn't trying to be schlocky or anything. They thought they were making a badass action movie. Like it wasn't. It wasn't a send up. It's not campy on purpose or anything like that. I mean, it, it just is what it is. There was a genuine effort to make something badass and original to where like the expendables or even some of the other ones that have come out recently they they're trying to do a send-up of movies like this and it, it just never feels genuine right and i think a part of that is something we love talking about which is like when somebody from a foreign nation wants oh. to come over and make the big hollywood movie and that's very much the story of mm-hmm. um the 
Mahamam and uh, Go. I'm sorry if we keep mispronouncing their names. I'm really yeah. sorry if we keep doing. I believe we'll just say Golan and Globus. That's easy. There you go. Golan and Globus. Golan and Globus. Golan and Globus are the the two guys. And uh, if you watch that Electric Boogaloo documentary, which we recommend you do, they have so much of that sheer just love. Just like we want to make big Hollywood movie. We love Hollywood movies. We want to make them, and they make these. Yep, and they are fantastic. Yes, yes. So uh, let's let's get into our next feature in a bit. So, uh, Adam, your final thoughts on Invasion USA? Like I said, I think it's my favorite Chuck Norris movie uh, all around. It, it's it's Chuck Norris as you picture him in the full denim gear, doing kicks, shooting guns, rocket launchers, you know, driving fast cars and playing loose with the ladies. Even though he never seals the deal because it's just a ridiculously forgot about thing that they never even attempt to capitalize on. Well, Chuck Norris just feels more asexual. That's the thing. He never seems to have any interest in women or men or anything. It's just like, I'm here to protect the law and I have no romantic interests. He's my, He might be beyond sex. That's the thing. Maybe he doesn't right, right. need it. Yes, yes, because he's too righteous to ever be seduced by a woman or anything in these movies. Yes. Maybe he's the second coming. I don't know. He's not coming at all. Yay. <laughs> Especially that twice. It's just pure schlocky fun, man. It, it, there's so much violence and needless explosions. Like this, like Michael Bay, good lord, owes something to these type of movies. I mean, just explosion, 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 explosion. And Richard Lynch is really fun in it. I, I, I just think it's a really fun, fun movie. Is it a great movie? Absolutely not. Is it even a good movie? Probably not. But it's really, really enjoyable. I mean, I would say it's not my favorite, necessarily, of even the So Bad It's Good camp of canon, but I would definitely say to anybody who's like, hey, what's a canon film kind of like? I haven't watched many of them. This is a good starter one. This is like, hey, here's what it basically is. This is a lot of what they do, and if you like this, there are other interesting ones to pursue as well. And I think it's fun on that level. I just, I think Norris is not my favorite kind of action hero, because of how kind of, like, completely lacking in charisma he necessarily is. Um, I, I just think he's kind of like a blank slate here, but that is still to say it's probably my favorite of the few starring vehicles of his I've seen, um, and, and there's still so much fun. Just every explosion alone. You can play a drinking game with the explosions, and we wouldn't recommend it because you would die from alcohol poisoning after a certain point. Um, it gets really, really excessive with the over-the-top massive explosions and such, but that's part of the charm. Um, and uh, we'll get to more charm like that in a second, but first, uh, here's an ESO so you can queue up right after hours. Hey, pardon interruption, but do you want to learn more about love, lust, sex, anger, happiness, music, time, space, and the human race? I hope you do, because I'm here to beg you to listen to Soul Forge Podcast. We're your weekly dose of life and living here on the ESO Network. Find us wherever you listen to podcasts and soulforgepodcast.com. A proud partner of the Rusted Robot Podcast here on the ESO Network. Let's find out together. All right, and let's get into our good feature for the evening, Death Wish 3. New York, a city pushed to the edge. People pushed to the limit, and no one's got the guts to stop them. It's collection time, Charlie. But there is one man who won't be pushed. What's the problem? Now you're going to die. In a world gone mad, there is only one law. His, Charles Bronson, Death Wish 3. So, Death Wish 3, obviously third in the Death Wish series, um, and this is the second one that Canon Films produced, because they didn't do the original one, which was from back in the 70s. 
they decided to get the rights in the 1980s. I love that even in 1982, when they did Death Wish 2, uh, Golan and Globus did not originally have the rights. Uh, so they were, like, forced to get them from Dino De Laurentiis. Because they don't give a shit, man. <laughs> no, they, they do not give a shit whatsoever. The success of Death Wish 2 obviously got us to Death Wish 3, um, which have only seen the first three films in the Death Wish series. Have you seen... The other ones, Adam? Yeah, I've seen all of them. In fact, today, for the first time, I watched the Eli Roth, Bruce Willis remake. Oh, how was that? Oh, it's it's laughably bad, but not in like a good way. Like laughably, like, what the fuck am I doing this? It's atrocious. Bruce Willis cannot give any less of a fuck. It, it, it's, it's terrible. But yes, I've seen them all. In fact, uh, a while ago, they were all on Hulu. I had seen the first one a long time ago when I was a kid, and I was already... It, Always interested in seeing the third one because, uh, you know, Alex Winter is first in it and then Michael Winter, hearing about him and all that. But I absolutely love the first one. I mean, I I think it's a great, great movie and I I think I actually own it. So, yeah, I went through all of them. One, two, three, four, five. And, man, is three the shining example of just how fucking crazy and off the rails a franchise can go I mean, it is insane. And I just want to say this. You know, obviously it's a movie. It's fake. Haha, whatever, whatever. Paul Kersey shouldn't be closely involved with any female. No, not at all. No, because they either get killed or raped, which admittingly, I think the first two are particularly kind of guilty on that angle of a lot of sexual violence, especially two. Yeah, two is really dark, dark and disturbing. Yeah, Right, with, with the daughter. Because it, it, she's catatonic still at that point. It's really mm-hmm. disturbing. Really messed up. Well, one, but one doesn't bother me because, I mean, it bothers me because it's rape. Rape in a film, period, is deplorable. But it's the whole crux of the character. You know, what happens to his family. I mean, that's what turns him into this vigilante and everything. Then when it gets repeated over and over and over and over, then it becomes just glorified. Right, and immediately three has a bit of that with um, Deanna Troy. I know, isn't it so bad? I'm watching it going, that's Deanna Troy. Like I thought he called her Marita Sirtis. It's Deanna Troy. Yeah, that's true. It's less so than at least the other two films. And I think my thing is why I would say I prefer of the first three films, Death Wish Three. Honestly, it's just because I feel like the first one has a lot of charm in terms of like '70s sort of aesthetics, and the mm-hmm. you know, Herbie Hancock score is really great. Um, but I think that one, um, is a bit more confused as to what it necessarily wants to say about vigilantism, uh, because, like, the, that was a big thing that the original, uh, writer, uh, Brian Garfield even said that he felt like it kind of glorified a lot more of the vigilantism when the whole point of the character was supposed to be kind of like, oh man, how far vigilantism can go and turn a person just kind of mad. And really in that mm-hmm. first one, it is just more of like, oh, he's taking back the streets after his wife is horribly murdered and his daughter is raped and catatonic and he doesn't react emotionally at all even in that first movie at all because charles bronson can't move his face to like cry or be look sad he can well he kind of always looks sad just because of the normal lines of his face but he can't he can't do anything else i'll tell you what though man i'm not disagreeing with you but the new one the remake took all of that and dialed it up to 10 Mm -hmm. i mean it's really really bad i mean it's playing like back in black when he's learning how to clean out his guns and stuff like it's really really lousy but no i I don't disagree with you but you know the thing is about charles bronson is especially in the first one i didn't mind him in the first one i kind of liked him because he does look like just a nor why would this dude be a badass 
Uh, by the time you get to three and four and five, and he's like super old and out of shape and clearly can barely stand straight because his back is so fucked up. It's like, okay, well, stop. But I, I just, I don't know, man. I, I got I'm a fan of, I'm a fan of Bronson. I'm a Bronson fan. I think I prefer Bronson when he's more part of an ensemble, like in Magnificent Seven, or especially yeah. in Once Upon a Time in the West. He's so phenomenal, Once Upon a Time in the West. Yeah, and that, yeah, it's... and that's a movie that plays to his strengths because he doesn't have any dialogue at all. That's <laughs> true. It really works to his advantage. Um, but at least in the difference, I would say between him and say like a Chuck Norris is that in these movies, um, it is almost more comical that he's just getting older. Like in Death Wish 3, when this was being made, he was 64 years old, and he looks like he's 74 years old. Yeah, but he's. But I'll tell you what, he's in pretty good shape. Oh, that's true, yeah, because he apparently wasn't neat freak and all that, and he kept himself healthy. He lived until 2003. So that's, Jesus. I know, right? <laughs> I would have expected him to have died moments no. after this movie wrapped up. Um, but it's, <laughs> um, he at least has sort of this weird kind of energy to him in these movies in particular where it's like you mean just kind of like he's kind of playing the role that Arnold Schwarzenegger tried to play middle ground Mm. of his career of just like I am average family man and Charles Bronson makes sense Charles Bronson feels like the uncle you would see at family gatherings as opposed to you know Arnold yeah I completely agree he's the uncle smells like sandalwood and maybe gets a little too drunk on eggnog (laughs) and you don't want to talk to him about politics at all (laughs) right at all hey what's going on here we're still in the car it's my car like, oh, wait, this fucking guy. <laughs> I think that's another thing, is most of my exposure to Bronson was from The Simpsons, uh, the, the the one guy who talks like Charles Bronson and Hank Azaria always does. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Or, or, or when there's even a great uh, bit in one of those where it's like, coming up next, uh, Death Wish 6. And he's like, in his hospital bed, like, I wish I was dead. <laughs> yep. I got a wish. And it's for death. I will say, and forgive me for not knowing his name because I don't do any research like I should. uh, The one who played the main bad guy was very fun in this. And we saw him previously in Willow. Yeah, uh, Gavin O'Hurley. Yeah, Yeah, Gavin O'Hurley. I think I said it then, but it's still here. Um, The guy who you think is William Atherton, but it's not William Atherton. (laughs) 1,000%. And does he have... The most non-threatening, but supposed to be badass haircut ever in a movie in this. Yeah, where he's just like balding down the middle straight. It's a pure, straight, bald line down the middle. And then his flaps are like long and slipped back with pomade. It looks ridiculous. It's 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 a one eighty mohawk. It's like if you were one of those play doh things where like the mohawk comes up, mm-hmm. but you reversed it and it came out just on the sides. Yeah, it's like a bizarro mohawk. <laughs> it's fucking ridiculous. It's ridiculous. And dude, these gang members, come on. He killed the giggler. The giggler. Because he runs when he laughs. <laughs> like, what the- Which that guy does. He likes to run and all laugh. The time. He runs all and laughs a all lot. The time. But I think that's what I kind of like about when you get to, like, a Death Wish 3, because, like, Death Wish 1 kind of had that issue I was talking about, where it doesn't quite know where it wants to go. Death Wish 2 is also, like, in the middle, but leaning even more toward the silliness and ridiculousness. And then Death Wish 3 is just like, fuck any subtlety we ever had in any of these things. Let's just throw it all out. And I think it works because, like, when he's sort of more directly tied to, like, his wife or his daughter. I don't believe any of the emotional stakes that are going on there. Versus here, he has, like, that love interest 
but mostly it's just kind of like, oh, hey, I'm friends with the community, and the community's getting fucked over, so I'm going to just destroy people. He feels almost like, in this vigilante style, this is him becoming, like, a crazy warped version of Batman. Because <laughs> that gang is basically, like, they're Joker thugs, is what they are. <laughs> oh, yeah, they're totally Gotham villains, there's no question. I mean, with the face paint and everything else, and some of them wear belly shirts and shit, like, what the fuck is going on here? Though the best is definitely, you mentioned Alex Winter, this is his debut, uh, also known as yeah. Bill of Bill and Ted, um, coming in, looking, to quote Charles Bronson, like a fucking choir boy, which is true. He looks so innocent. Oh yeah, he's like, a, he's a baby. He's a child. <laughs> <laughs> and, and meanwhile, he's like, jumping onto cars, just saying like, yo, baby, I want to fuck you so bad. Like, oh, Alex, you're so adorable. Uh, oh, look, look at him. <laughs> And then it's like you get this whatever she is, like a DA assistant or whatever, and she comes to find Charles Bronson. Like, I know being kind of forward driving down here to ask you to go out with me. Really? You're attracted to him? So then, of course, he ends up betting this chick, which is like the worst mistake because she literally gets horribly murdered the same night. Yeah, he's just this... like, oh, I'm going to go in the convenience store real quick. You just stay in your car. <laughs> he goes to the post office to get his bazooka. Oh, right, his mail-ordered <laughs> artillery? Yes, right. His mail-ordered bazooka and rockets. She gets slugged in the face, and the car pushed down, which somehow, as soon as that car makes contact with anything, it explodes. No, but I like the fact is that it's not immediate. The car hits another car, and it stops her with, like, ugh, and then it explodes. Oh, yeah, that's <laughs> like, true. There's just a there's like a second, like, oh, she might be okay. Ooh, probably not. <laughs> I do love oh. the shot so much after it explodes, and he just turns around like, oh, man. There's one that eyes- happened. His one eye is a little glassy, which is probably from his cataracts or whatever the hell's going on with him at the time. You know, or the wind hit him. Oh, it's cold in New York Air or London or whatever the hell. Right. That's another thing is also, like, this was mainly shot in London. And you can kind of tell, like, certain back alleys just look like they're graffiti over for, like, they're going to, like, spray that away and then they're going to shoot an Oliver Twist movie. Like, right, right after. Exactly. Like, exactly. Any of the places, especially where, like, the fire escapes are, look so, like, foreign. <laughs> The, 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 well, hey, we already brought up uh, Deanna Troy's husband's zip gun. So she's horribly gang raped, okay? And her arm's broken or whatever. So the guy's crying. You know, I can't believe they raped my wife. They raped my wife. And then Charles Brotz comes in. Hey, she's going to be okay. They said her arm's broken. They get there. The doctor comes out. Sorry, she died. No, okay. Here's the thing. It's slightly worse than what you're saying. Because it's not, he doesn't say she died or she passed away. He says she expired. She expired. <laughs> like, she's milk. What the fuck? Well, apparently the arm was a really bad break, and a let go of clots that went to her heart, so sorry. <laughs> Jesus Christ! <laughs> Expired. It's amazing that they said that word. You're setting up these horribly, horribly just brutal traps for these guys, and, you know, cutting their feet on nails, and getting boards to the face and knocking out their teeth or knives in the forehead, and all these old people live in the building are like, oh... He's doing the Lord's work. Oh my, no, but my, my favorite bit of this whole movie, the sort of ambiguity of the original movie, cut to this movie where it's just like, you know what, let's galvanize the people to get out their handguns and shoot folks. Yes. Or the little black boy who somehow's there like, yeah! Who the fuck is this kid? And Bronson's <laughs> just like, has his hand up to like, fist, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Fist gives him an ice cream. Here you go. <laughs> Bronson is ridiculous he's ridiculous and I mean even the way he holds that horrible gun it, it, like it's so unnatural looking right it, it looks like a laser pistol from like a Battlestar Galactica or some shit 
A thousand percent. And is everybody in this but him the worst shot in the world? Oh, yeah, easily. They're all Stormtrooper Academy graduates. I love the one guy who's just standing in a tree <laughs> shooting at him. Like, he's literally just in a normal tree in front of somebody's house. <laughs> this movie's ridiculous. But let's get let's get to the important matter. The rocket launcher. <laughs> okay, well, there, there's, so there, there's a rocket launcher, but there's also, like, a machine gun. Yeah, a brownie. That this, like, Ernest Borgnine wannabe had from World War II. Yeah, World War Right, right. Which, the way it... it if anybody knows what, it, like, an M1 Browning looks like, where it's got the perforated holes in the barrel to let out the, the heat and the steam. Right. You could not hold that thing by the barrel. No, you couldn't hold it at all. You would have to have, like, some kind of tripod to, like, put that down on. Unless you're Arnold Schwarzenegger. That's true, right. Which Charles Bronson is not. But if you held that thing by the barrel, it would literally melt your flesh to the barrel. It gets so ridiculously hot where you have to shoot them in short three-second bursts because the barrels will overheat so bad. Which I know, again, you know, getting a little too technical for Death Wish 3. But I just find it so funny that then he's out there with the guy whose wife just died. And he's got a cardboard box full of bullets just standing right next to him while these guys are opening fire. Charles Bronson, again, shooting from the fucking hip with this thing and just massacring gang members in the open streets. Yes, and while that guy who has his wife just got horribly murdered and raped is like holding the bullets as they're like being fed into it. Yeah, and he's like, yeah, yeah. I'm like, dude, fuck that. <laughs> like, no way. Just, like, all the enthusiasms going on, even, like, this town, there's an earlier point where he shoots, I believe it was when he shoots the Giggler, as we mentioned, and everyone's, like, coming out of their windows, like, hooray, he did it, he saved the village! <laughs> right, he shit. just murdered a man. And they're all just so ecstatic about it. it, it it's nuts, and even, like, of course, we haven't mentioned this, but it's a great part of this movie, um, Ed Lauder, oh, um, who, who was a great character actor, appeared in so many different movies, um, is the chief of police who initially arrests Paul Kersey after he thinks that he killed this one particular guy who was actually his best friend that got killed by uh, the gang members. Um, but mm-hmm. then enlists him just like, you know what, I just beat you up in prison, literally said, this is my prison, I can break your rights in this shit, and, like mm-hmm. beat the shit out of you. But also I'm going to hire you to basically help me stop this gang problem. <laughs> and he's just, shoot- by the end of the movie, shooting alongside Charles Bronson. <laughs> but, oh yeah, like, they're best friends. They are best friends at the end. Total besties. They are absolute total besties at the end. So everyone's like, you better get out of here. They're going to be looking for you. And then that's how the movie ends, by the way. Yeah, I mean, he punches him in the fucking face. And shit, I'm keeping him in here. What's the charge? No charges. What's the bill? No bail. And then, all right, I'm going to let you loose. You better report back to me. And Charles Brown's like, I'm not doing it. When he meets him at the car, what kind of information you got for me? Nothing. <laughs> like, all right. <laughs> <laughs> and I love, by the way, when he flicks the fucking headlights, it's going bum, 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 yeah, like the is. piano. <laughs> Which I also love, too, how the score is credited to Jimmy Page of Led Zeppelin. And I just love how oh. it shamelessly they stole the music he actually wrote for Death Wish 2. And poorly mm-hmm. put it in, in between these synthesizer bits you're mentioning, which are, it's so obvious anytime it's not Jimmy Page's, like, awesome rocket fucking score. And then just gets like, ding, ding. <laughs> oh, it's the worst. The score in this is so fucking bad. So, yes, favorite action bit. 
I don't know if it's quite an action beat, but I just love... There's a bit where the Ernest Borgnine guy tries to use that machine gun we mentioned earlier. <laughs> well, it's a completely different gun. It's a completely right. different gun. It's a completely different gun. And he go, goes out there and it's jammed, but there's this mm-hmm. giant mob of fucking thugs and they're just like, Hey, he's got a gun! And they all ram up the fucking fire escape. Like, they're falling mm-hmm. over each other to get up the fire escape. And they throw mm-hmm. that fucker over. And then he looks <laughs> like, Oh man, he just fell off like several stories. Cut to, he's alive in the hospital, but just like, Oh, I'll be fine. <laughs> yeah, it's joking and laughing. <laughs> it's a completely different gun. And then he goes, Yeah, I still have another one of those guns. It's where it was before. Like, wait a minute. Why didn't you bring that to the attention the first time? Like, yeah, I got two of these fucking things. Nope, none of that. I got, I, again, I got to bring it up, the, the fucking hip fire rocket launcher. Right, it ends the same way as Invasion USA. It's just in an enclosed space. The yes. exact same way. Except that O'Hurley, he doesn't have a rocket launcher as well. But yeah, of course, they're body armor, just like you. So why do you play the whole falling down and dying thing? I don't understand. So they could do like the Michael Myers thing where he opens his eyes. It's like, da-da-da. Yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> and then the fucking, his, 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 uh, you know, BFF, sheriff, whatever the fuck you want to call him, friend is like, yeah, you're not going to get both of us. And he turns and he hip fires this fucking projectile rocket launcher and it blows out the fucking side of the building. Like yes. completely destroys the the entire wall. You could fly a small like hangar plane through the wall hole that's there. Absolutely. And, of course, his corpse is there smoking on the ground, which I gotta imagine it would be just completely obliterated. They're fine. Bronson and the fucking cop are fine. They go out and look out the window. Yeah. Got it. That's mentioned also, that is the point where, like, all of the actual other thugs just stop. And somehow identify that smoldering corpse as his. <laughs> oh, I recognize that reverse mohawk smoldering anywhere. <laughs> and they just all, like, depart. And once again, the villager's like, hooray! Hooray! Oh, Charles Bronson's our hero. <laughs> And they're like, oh, you better get out of here. They're going to be looking for you. And then he's just walking down the street in a different color jacket. They'll never find me. I'm not distinctive in any way. This is Tweed. <laughs> well, and, and we should also mention, like, the buildup to that particular thing. Like, in between the big machine gun thing and that, it's just countless examples of something I love. Where somebody, sh- like, ends up hurting somebody on a tall place and then they fall over to their death. <laughs> that dummy. Favorite. That dummy. Oh, so many dummies. Like, the same exact dummy. <laughs> oh, that Giggler dummy. Oh, my God. It's so bad. The Giggler falls, and then he hits a car, and it's clearly just a dummy contorting. Like, ah! Yeah, where one arm is, like, out. Right. But everything else is stiff completely. <laughs> like, it's fucking ridiculous. And the thing is, it's like, how ineffective is this gang? It's a 64-year-old man. And the entirety of the gang was after him. Yeah, <laughs> and he had no gun, no nothing, and they just send one guy to get him, and he fucking throws him off a building, and then the end scene next day, he's back at the same apartment. Like, how did he even get back there? Why are they not there waiting for him? What is going on? Why are they letting him get bazookas? Like, what? What is happening? But that's the thing. Like that consistent, like weird com- confusion and fascination is what I think makes this a bit more interesting than saying Invasion USA. It's just even when things are quiet, you're constantly puzzled in a fascinated way of, like, the relationship that's going on or how this entire town operates. This is a better movie. Yeah, This yeah, is like even... a fantasy. Oh, yeah, that's the thing. It's, it plays way more like a Western, just in terms of its aesthetics 
and how like this gang roams in and Charles Bronson's the lone hero and even the, the other villagers that are all around quote, the, the other citizens like the old Jewish couple who's just there like oh look Boris he's doing it he's defeating the bad guys <laughs> kind of method and once again, everyone just unites together. That's the thing where, like, the, the sort of question we've kind of been dancing around with this particular movie is just, like, the whole, like, oh, hey, gun violence and, like, shooting down people recklessly, vigilantism, all that. Um, not something we necessarily condone. Like, this is a morally reprehensible movie. But at the same time, I think this one has just the complete lack of any actual humanity whatsoever to make it a full-on cartoon. <laughs> it just makes it bizarrely fascinating to watch. I completely, completely agree. I think out of, like I said, I, I still find the first one to be a pretty good movie. This is by far, though, the most entertaining of the entire series. And you don't even have to watch the other two, really, to, like, jump into this one. No, no you, you completely don't. You just get the idea that this guy was a vigilante at one point. And he's like, I'm never going back there. And the cop's like, I'm letting you loose. You're letting me loose. Yeah, you're going to work for me. You ready to do it? Yeah, all right. <laughs> it takes it takes no persuasion. Mere seconds. It's just okay. You, you talk. I mean, literally seconds. I'll never go back to that life again. But I watch it too. All right, for you, I could break my own rules. <laughs> like this is fucking ridiculous. My, my question is: uh, Do four or five get anywhere close to this amazing? Four is kind of boring. Okay, but five five ends on such a crazy note where his girlfriend lives almost to the entire end and then gets horribly like shot and killed and then he kills the guy who did it and this all in like a span of three minutes and then he smiles and walks away (laughs) you're like what the fuck wait a minute like like she just got horribly murdered in a roller rink nonetheless and that was like 10 years later from here so Charles Bronson's in his mid 70s oh he's pure gray and awful, and she's clearly in like her late thirties, maybe early forties. Like she's beautiful. This is this is definitely the high point. The rest are kind of eh, you could skip them. The the later sequels, I would say. Yeah, you you can't quite top after a Death Wish three. Death Wish three does kind of feel like just like no, this is the rousing into a trilogy that most trilogies would dream of having. <laughs> yeah, I agree. I mean, how did he even get this far? How, why is there five of these? <laughs> how much of how much vigilantism and avenge work does this guy need to do? Just stop. Although I will say this, Death Wish Four does have one of the greatest like explosion scenes ever. Okay. Uh, like and and Danny Trejo plays an Italian, by the way. Oh, in it. oh, oh my people, me familiar. Yeah, yeah, Danny, like Danny Trejo. Could you imagine that? Nah, Danny, Danny's my my second cousin. I see him every family reunion. There's an explosion that goes off, and when it shows the like them with the bomb about to go off in slow motion, nonetheless, it's so clearly dummies, <laughs> which is like pasted on mustaches. Like it's ridiculous, and it's in full on slow motion. So that's pretty great. But does it top the scene where the guy's shop explodes and he says, "That's my shop, my shop." <laughs> No, of course not. And then they're at his house the same day throwing bricks and shit through his windows. Like, leave that fucking poor guy alone. But doesn't that get you, like, just ramped up to, for the vigilante violence to keep going at him? They're just abusing all these people in this neighborhood. And <laughs> Paul Kersey just kills anybody. You jaywalked. That means you got a wish. <laughs> a wish for death. No, he, he is, does not care whatsoever. No, it, he doesn't care at all. Ah, uh, you didn't put on your turn signal. You got a wish. <laughs> 
Dolaf, turn on red. You're going to wish. Is that a McGriddle <laughs> burger wrapper that you just put on the floor? Wish. <laughs> <laughs> ah, those cans were Ohio, but you're returning them in Michigan. You're going to wish. <laughs> I wish you actually said you have a wish. <laughs> Me too. Me too, man. I wish that was his tagline. Like every time before he killed somebody, you got a wish, you got a wish, you got a wish. When you wish upon a star, your chest will explode. <laughs> oh, I, I think we have to stop about Death, Death Wish 3 here, Adam. So your final thoughts on Death Wish 3. I don't think we've accurately described how great this movie is and how fun it is and how batshit crazy it is and how unbelievable Charles Bronson is in it as an action hero. But still, you're with him the whole time because of that fucking awful mustache that when he kisses that girl it's so gross because you know that's touching her upper lip and she's just like oh god oh what the fuck oh no feels like a brillo pad that's got like a little bit of extra like <laughs> kitchen gunk on it like it's just it's gross but it's just a fun crazy movie i love it no yeah i'm, I'm completely in that same camp with this one death wish 3 is such a bizarre, hysterical, over-the-top ride, where, like, I had picked this as my alternative bad pick, and I think that's because it fits in this weird, perfect, nebulous world of just, like, on every conceivable level of, like, being an actual good movie, it does fail pretty hard. It, there, there's, there's so much, and even just the weird, misguided arena of just this actual premise alone, it's just like, oh my god, that seems like it'd be reprehensible, yet, in context of what it ends up doing, it is just a non-stop over-the-top silly ride where, like, the only real issue I might have with it is just, like, the the one gratuitous rape. It's just, like, really not needed. Yeah, I that's like That's, like, the one sequence where I'm just like, I'm not having any fun here. Otherwise, it's weirdly, bizarrely so fun. And if nothing else, man, like, that... We haven't sold, I don't think, the entire, like, last 20 minutes of this movie is madness. It's it's totally... It's a Western stunt show madness. Oh, it's, it's non-stop. People falling out of trees, out of buildings, out of windows... <laughs> I mean, one lady pushes a guy out of a window with a broom. <laughs> Does that yeah, for no reason. And then that's another thing also we didn't talk about with either movie, but Canon also loves having people jump out of windows, like, constantly. <laughs> they just love that fucking gag of people jumping the fuck out of, like, glass plate windows. But anyway, yeah, the Death Wish 3, I would definitely say it's the, the best of the three Death Wish films I've actually seen. Um, I think it's just a weird time capsule, especially, of just, like, weird... 80s era, just like, oh, hey, these the older folks are getting their action hero here, and their action hero is Charles Bronson just murdering endlessly, like, so many youthful thugs. It's bizarre, it's crazy, but uh, it's a lot of fun, despite all that. Absolutely. Yes. Absolutely. That, yes, yes. And that's the end of our uh, double feature of canon films, uh, but we do have some more stuff to do, including doing our picking, which we'll do at the very end for uh, next week's episode, so stay tuned. First, we want to read some feedback from you all, because every week on Monday, we post up a feeler about, like, hey, what are your favorite, least favorite movies related to whatever topic we're doing? So we asked all of you out there about your favorite and least favorite films related to the canon film productions out there. And so uh, first, Brian Kane says, uh, Life Force is worth a watch. Uh, a solid B movie with some great imagery. Uh, Death Wish 3 is this 
a hysterical farce that watches like a Zucker Brothers movie. Bill Gabriel says it's a toss-up between Invasion USA and Delta Force 2. Eric Avon says Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2 as a favorite. Christopher Schwant uh, says, I just watched Snow White again yesterday. It's uh, always been my favorite. I'm not sure how many canon films I've seen, though. And then James Rodriguez says, uh, The only output by canon films I've seen is Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2. And while it feels like a sequel in name only, I respect it for simply not remaking the original to a lesser degree. Uh, if only more of its sequels would take that note. Uh, once you get past the jarring tonal shift, it's a fun film full of creativity. And I mean, yeah, that was uh, your other good pick mm-hmm. as an alternative. And I would argue probably the best of the canon films, at least I've seen. I guess I got to agree with that. I, I don't know, man. I really like Highlander. But I, I, I definitely think it's the best of the Texas Chainsaw movies. I think me and you both agree on that. I think it's both of our favorites. Yes. I think it, it's it's a Looney Tunes cartoon with gore. It's fucking just wild. It, it's so, so fun. My good choices originally was going to be Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2 and Life Force, actually, because Life Force also is batshit crazy. Yes, and that's another Toby Hooper joint. Uh, Because he had a weird thing where he had a three-picture deal. Yeah, he did Life Force, Invaders from Mars, and Texas Chainsaw, I believe. Right, and the whole thing was Canon wanted him to do the sequel to Texas Chainsaw. He's like, fine, I want to do two other movies. And it's like, well, I'm sure they'll all make money. And even all of them, including Texas Chainsaw, did not do nearly as well as they wanted it to. Oh, yeah, they they did terrible actually yeah. yeah they were a big reason why they kind of started declining mm-hmm. uh, but i i really do love that one too and life force especially life force it's literally space vampires uh patrick stewart's in it he it's uh it's very weird it's very interesting and even invaders from mars i would also say is a lot of fun i like invaders from mars in life yeah. force patrick stewart has a uh man on man kiss in that movie a full-on kiss yes he does you know not to get creepy and man but god she's just gorgeous is whatever her name is the main the main vampire man oh man yes that alone almost makes it worth it to watch yeah um we we kind of referenced this one earlier in terms of just other really good ones i would say ninja three the domination i fucking love ninja three the domination is pure insanity in such i want to figure out a way for us to cover that on the show Oh fuck yeah! <laughs> it's got it's got to happen, you know. Whether we do martial arts movies or something like that, that's got to be involved. For those who aren't aware, Ninja Through the Domination, no relation to the other two ninja movies that preceded it. Um, the basic premise is this ninja ends up getting gunned down, and his soul inhabits um, a really attractive young power line installer um, who ends up gaining his ninja powers and gets possessed. So it's a possession slash ninja martial arts movie. It's ridiculous. The opening 10 minutes is all the ninja magic you've ever wanted to see in a movie takes place, and it's just full-on carnage. Yes. And then it gets really kind of a little bit arguably uh, racist. I mean, no, I'm not disagreeing with that. <laughs> Which she becomes the ninja, and then they put the makeup on her face. Yep, they do. <laughs> to try to give her the eyes. And you're like, oh, this is uh, kind of rough. No, that's, it's such a fun movie. My my favorite character ever in a movie is Harry Shoulders Cop, <laughs> her boyfriend, who's yes. got the hairiest shoulders I've ever seen. It's so gross. Yes, yes. Um, and then just other weird people that would show up in these things. Like I mentioned, Street Smart earlier. That was a Christopher Reeve like passion project that they end mm. up uh, funding. It, it's very interesting. Morgan Freeman got his first Oscar nomination for that movie. Uh, and, Christopher Reeve plays like this guy, this reporter who's investigating street life and ends up running into this pimp played by Morgan Freeman. It's a very interesting movie of its time for sure, but it has a lot of cool things. And he was able to do that 
uh, because he allowed Canon to make Superman for the Quest for Peace, which is... I, I've, I've said it before on the show <laughs> that like I, people hate on Superman for the quest for peace. At least like it's not nearly as boring as Superman three. It is another I, I those, like, bizarre bad yeah. choices. Like every single turn, it's just like oh, let's have Superman like rebuild the Great Wall of China with his eyes <laughs> and Nuclear Man and all this other bullshit. I love that that's the one Gene Hackman came back for <laughs> after Superman. I know two. ridiculous. They had to have offered him like a really good chunk of money. Oh, I'm sure. <laughs> but the they also did Cobra, which is a classic. Right. It's not a good movie. Don't get me wrong. Cobra is not a good movie. But then we wouldn't have what we did. You were I don't even think you were alive yet. In the late eighties, the Barbarian Brothers, if it weren't for Canon films. Do you know anything about the Barbarian Brothers? No, um, no please pray tell. Oh, they are twin brothers who are they're like huge muscle-bound guys, like Arnold Schwarzenegger muscle-bound guys. But with a name like Barbarian, I wouldn't assume that. And they got big bra- big black mullets, and they were like comedic guys. They were super funny, wore all these wild clothes, and they always got into hijinks. Like there is a movie where they're babysitters. There's a movie where they're, they're truck drivers. There's a movie where I think they're surfers. And uh, yeah, we got a lot of those movies because of those fucking guys. Yes, um, and and also just another like one I really want to highlight. Another massively mm-hmm. fascinatingly terrible movie. Perhaps like as as someone Adam who like when we talked on the show, I, I I'm a fan of the musical genre. Um, sure. The the Apple is one of the most fascinatingly terrible. Oh, movies. I've never seen that. I know it by reputation though. Oh my god! It's for those who don't know, it's basically the story of in the far off distant future from 1980 of 1994. Uh, these two kids win a singing competition, and they're very wholesome and just like have their acoustic guitars, and they just want to go out there and have a dream. This boyfriend and girlfriend, and then they get seduced by the record industry, who's very clearly Satan, and then they go off into like Central Park in a cave and find God and his disciples living in a cave, and there's musical numbers all throughout. It's so fascinating. <laughs> It's such a weird thing. And that was like, um, I'm not sure if it was Golden or Globus, it was one of them. It was like their passion project. They so wanted it to happen. And everyone rightly laughed it off the screen. Um, but it, it, it fits up there with like a Xanadu. It's just like a weird curio of like Ugh. the early 80s. Like the 70s are so clearly here. But it, mm-hmm. it's, just, it's so weird. That that's that might be a back pocket. It's probably cocaine. Probably. And by yeah. probably, I mean most definitely. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but we also had some feedback that was related to a couple previous episodes we did. Uh, first off, James says, in reference to our last episode about Universal Monsters, says, uh, This episode feels like Thomas won custody of the podcast and is trying to get listeners to bond with his younger partner. Uh, but seriously, though, props to Ryan for stepping up to the plate and helping out with the show in its time of need. Great episode, guys. Fuck you, James. No, no, <laughs> fuck you, man. <laughs> you sell out. Oh, yeah, sure, you like Dad's new partner. Would you yeah, well, that? yeah. Mm-hmm, yeah, sorry. Don't want to go to the batting cages anymore, huh? You like the video arcade games. Okay. Uh, yeah, but thanks again to Ryan for coming in when we desperately... Yeah, definitely, man, game. definitely. Thank you, Quarterman. We also had a bit of feedback from Rafe Telsh. Oh, fuck this guy. Well, well, well we yeah, need... All right, we, all right, all right. Yeah, uh, go ahead, go ahead. Rafe Telsh of uh, Have Not Seen This. 
uh, previous guest on the show a couple times, has said, uh, been a while since I've had an online adversary, uh, but after listening to the latest double-edged devil bill, wherein a disgruntled Adam Thomas uh, turned his ire towards me, I now consider him my nemesis, let the fun begin, and then in reference to our last episode specifically said, secret fact, Adam isn't on this episode because he's cowering in fear after I recently announced him as my nemesis. So you haven't gotten a chance to respond to this because this was after our Travolta episode. Right, right, right. Well, clearly I have so much to be afraid of from Rafe. Middle-aged men are my phobias. <laughs> he looks in the mirror and just, like, is so haunted. Right. Oh, oh, no. Oh. Well, salt and pepper locks really fucking get under my skin. Look, the thing is, Rafe, uh, I don't know. I don't, look, man, I'm trying to keep this, you know, sort of friendly because I did like being on our show and I like when you're on our show and everything. Uh, but how do I say this? Um, fuck yourself all the way up your own butt. <laughs> you don't want to start this because I'm going to get horribly brutal. And then Thomas is going to have to censor me. And it's going to cause a whole bunch of shit between me and Thomas. And it's just like, dude, I will. I, I'll end you. I'll end you. You don't. You don't want this. Stop. Stop. He's already dead. Stop. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know. Plus, I think don't. Aren't you still a nemesis with Lance Langford of the Horror Returns? So I don't know if like there's really room in your life for another enemy. Oh, uh, I kind of, I kind of forgot about that guy. Does who? Who now? What's his name? <laughs> who? <laughs> no, I mean, Rafe, if Rafe wants to step up to the plate, he could take over. That's totally fine. I'm sure loyal listener Rafe tells if you're listening, Rafe, you want him to be your nemesis. This is something you wanted. Would your fucking bullshit algorithms tell you about this, you fuckstick? <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, of, of course, of course, Rafe, it's all unjust and love, winky winky. Anyway, I'm going to thank all of you for that feedback. And we want to thank Chris Oliver for the intro and outro music used in our show. Listen to more of his music at chrisoliver.bandcamp.com. Thanks to Emily Scarter for the art for our show. And if you want to, you know, send some thoughts toward us, you can uh, find us on Twitter and Facebook at DEDBpod. Uh, that's where we post up those musings about, like, hey, what do you, you know, what do you guys like about these particular topics and all that? That feedback questionnaire thing. Um, and also you can send us feedback uh, to doubleedgedoublebill at gmail.com, all spelled out. And uh, you can also uh, find me at my Twitter account and out the Who's Tommy, where you can send feedback and such. I also do some writing for a couple places like marianithomas.wordpress.com, where I would have right now a review of uh, the new Invisible Man Out, which um, was an interesting little new turn in the Universal Monsters franchise, and I talk all about that there. And I also am an associate editor now at truesuperherofans.com, where we do uh, satirical superhero Ooh. news and such. Yes, yes, I get no raise, and by no raise I mean no money still. But... It's a fancy title. Um, and you can also find Adam Thomas uh, just blowing people away with giant machine guns that uh, clearly don't have any blowback whatsoever. From the hip, right? Always from the hip. If you're going to shoot, from shoot from the hip. Yes, always. And uh, if you want to shoot from the hip, get us a little subscription. Uh, you can always subscribe to us here on Apple Podcasts. YouTube, Spotify, Stitcher, and other podcasting platforms. Uh, you can listen to us on the ESO Network, of course, and you can listen to all the other shows that are there, too. And uh, why not dig into the archives of our Podbean feed, specifically for all the previous episodes we didn't post on there yet. And uh, please rate, review, and uh, if anything, I'll share the show around to give us a bit more visibility. What is the struggle here? Why, why is it just not being shared? I, I don't get it. I mean, it is. There's a lot of people that do, like Brian Stitcher shares it constantly. Rafe shares it every time. Uh, James shares it, Tori has shared it, you know, guests of the show have shared it. What about the fucking listeners? It, it's, you know, just 
fucking throw us a bone here. Yes. But uh, before we end the show here, Adam, it's time to do our picking for next week. And, you know, we're doing one production company known for smaller independent movies for its time. Uh, we're doing something similar. Obviously, two companies very similar, Canon Films and A24 Productions. So similar. They're all they're, they're indistinguishable. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but uh, these are people who make usually like some of these movies that get nominated for Oscars. We've covered a few of them, like Moonlight, for example. Your favorite, Adam, was an A24 production. Um, yep. They, the, a bunch of great films that they tend to do. And uh, we're going to talk about two of those next week, and we're going to do our picking for those now. If you're new, um, I have the two good movies. that have assigned a number between one and ten for each of those. Adam's done the same for his two bad picks. And so um, each of us are going to pick a number between one and ten for the other's two choices, and whichever that number is closest to gets us our good and our bad features. So Adam, for my two good choices, number between one and ten. Nine. Okay. At number eight, I had um, a movie that I really wanted to put when we did our best and worst of the decade list, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, about a month ago or so, uh, a couple months ago. Uh, I really wanted to put this on there. It's a movie I really love from a director I think is really cool up and coming. It is David Lowry's A Ghost Story from 2017. Oh, sweet. You know, man, I've been trying to see this. I've been wanting to watch it. I just can't find the time and now i gotta make the time to do it so i'm excited to see it awesome and at number four i had another one that i think kind of went by the wayside but it's a great ensemble piece a lot of great especially female performances in there uh 20th century women oh i yeah i haven't seen that either all right cool so either way win win yes now i'm very curious Adam, about your two bad picks because mm-hmm. a24 is known for quality but i'm sure you found a couple bad ones in there so for your two bad ones, I'm going to pick number four. Okay. Let me preface this by, I haven't seen either of these, but I've heard a lot. Both of them have very, very mixed reactions. Okay. Uh, so at number three, you got Swiss Army Man. Okay. That was one I loved. So that's the very interesting. Right. See, okay. I haven't seen it, but I know okay. a lot of people who saw it and hate it. I mean, it's a fort and corpse, blah, blah, blah. but uh, at number nine, I had It Comes at Night. That one I get more of the divisive thing because I was very in the middle about that one myself. So I, okay. I, I, I got that one more as a choice. But yeah, okay. So I'm in the win column for this one. All right, this will be fun. Yeah, surely. So it's a flip on the this episode because I was in the win for but this one. All right. All right, all right, yeah. So clearly I like shit and you like artistic uh, garbage. Okay. <laughs> That's the dynamic everyone loves about this show. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, so that's the end of our episode. And on that note, uh, Adam, it's time to clean up the streets with our big machine you got, guns. You got a wish for loitering. That means death. Goodbye. Good night, everybody. has been a broadcast of the ESO Network. Be part of the crew and help support our shows by donating to our ESO Patreon or by shopping through Amazon.com or the Tee Public Store, which can all be found at www.esonetwork.com. The ESO Network, your station for all things geek.